For those of you I haven't met yet, my name's Rick. Uh, I am uh, studying uh, at a Bible college, uh, but I've also had the privilege for the last two years to be able to uh, have some training here, which has been fantastic. Uh, now, I don't know if this is a thing of my generation and my age, but before I do anything substantial, if it's going to take my time or my money, I look up a review. So if I'm going to go to a cafe, I'm going to go to a site called Bean Hunter and find out what that cafe, cafe has been ranked uh, for its ability to make good coffee, for it, the vibe of the place. I'm going to look all that up. Before I watch a movie, uh, or go to the cinema particularly, or if I'm going to hire a movie, I'm going to look that up on Rotten Tomatoes and if it got 40%, even though the trailer looked really good, probably not going to do it. Restaurants, our whole society, it works on reviews. They might be online or they might be just things that people say to one another, oh, never go there or you have to go to this restaurant, it's fantastic. I think we all review everything that matters to us, whether we give it a good review or a negative review. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your review for this church? And you might not think that you have one, but in, either internally or privately with your family, you might have things that you either celebrate, that you are thankful that they happen here, or that really irritate you, that you grumble about to yourself, if only this happened, why, why, why has someone not started doing this? What is your internal or private review of our church? And it's important not just because it's good to be self-aware of how we're evaluating things. It's important to know how you're reviewing this place because it affects so much. It affects your attendance. It affects whether you are going to come each week. If there are things that are really exciting for you or encouraging, then you are going to come each week, whether it's online if you're not able to be with us here in person or physically here with us. But if there's things that are really annoying you or that are hard, then it's just far more likely that you're going to give that week a skip. It affects how willing we are to invite other people to join us. If there are things that we don't like, then it's so much less likely that we're going to invite other people to hear about the grace of our God here among us. And particularly at the moment, this, I think this is always good to be self-aware of, but particularly at the moment in the midst of COVID, when we've had time where church was entirely happening online, and now we've got the option of either staying at home, which, as I said, for some people is the wise and good, necessary thing to do. Glad that we have that available. But it can be tempting to think, oh, I'll just, I'll watch church today. I won't come to church. If there's things that in your internal review are harder about getting here, what is your review of our church? Now, this morning, as we come to this passage, we're going to be, I think, challenged by our attitude towards church. And I want us to be thinking about how that affects our, how we act here at our church. Now, if you have been coming through Romans with us last year and this year, you'll know that uh, as we've tracked through, there has been a lot of threads that have come through the whole letter. Uh, but one of the key ones is God's grace. That we are people who need God's grace, that we are naturally rebels against our creator God who, even if we ignore him, that is making ourselves enemies with him. 
We can't get into a good relationship with our God by ourselves. We need God's grace. We need him to be generous, kind to us, and he shows that to us ultimately in his son Jesus coming into this world to die on the cross. We've seen that and we need that grace. And there'll be a lot of things that we're going to look at and think about with church this morning, but if you don't yet trust in Jesus, can I encourage you, that's the grace that you first and foremost need to understand and trust in. And that means that if you do that, you can enjoy so many good blessings, including the other ones we're going to talk about. But if you haven't yet accepted that grace, trusted in Jesus that he died so that you can go from being enemies to children of God, that's what I want you to do today. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who have accepted that kindness of God, our maker, we've seen that as we've come into Romans 12, there is continuing kindness of God for those of us now that we've trusted in him. Last week when we saw, in view of God's mercy, what he's done all through there, that calls on us to live in a certain way. And helpfully the way that that's been framed is that it means that we're, having, we're being transformed, renewing of our mind, we're no longer being conformed to the world, but transformed, to have a look at verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's our goal here, now that those who have trusted in Jesus, to no longer be conformed, but to be transformed. And as Paul, who wrote this, goes through this, he's talking about what that looks like. And the first place that he goes is what that transformation looks like is in the church. It's not just an individual thing. Have a look again at verses 3 and 4. For by the grace of given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We're not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. God has given us faith to trust and keep coming back to him, that we need him, in order to be transformed. And then have a look at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, the church, the local church, have, uh, though many, form one body, and each member, each of us, belongs to one another. The first thing that Paul does when he's talking about what it means to not be conformed, but transformed according to God's grace, is he talks about what that looks like here in the church. Now, I think our temptation is to not think of this place as the primary place we do that. We like to be independent, self-reliant. We like to think, when we think about what it looks like for us to grow in our trust and life as Christians, I have a feeling we go to things that we as individuals do. We don't think as much of it as part of our obligation of belonging to one another here in the church. We are part of a community that God has made so that we can be no longer conformed but transformed by his grace. And in a sense, that can be true of any community, can't it? That every group you are a part of challenges you. In your extended family or in your work or in your friends, every community that you might be a part of, there will be people who challenge you and you'll be given opportunities to grow as a person. 
But this community that God has made isn't just like every other community where we have an opportunity to to change and grow. God is doing something particular in us because not only have we been saved by Jesus, we have been made into a new person in Jesus. Remember, have a look in there, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. We are unique in that we are formed in Christ a community different from every other community, which means that as we come here, we remind each other of truths that no other group is able to do. A workplace that might challenge you is good, friends, family, there's ways to grow in those, but this community is one that God has made in Christ with the purpose of our no longer being conformed but transformed. When we're here, because we are the body of Christ, we remind each other of Him. We remind each other, every time we're here, we can remember that it is because of him, his sacrifice, his humility, that we are able to be a people, that we're formed into a new body. And so, God does that in us, but it's not just that he gives us a community, which is incredible, but he gives us gifts to contribute to this body. Have a look in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes on listing different types of gifts and how to use them. So again, gift, it's that same idea as grace. It's something that is given to us by God and we're to use it here. But if you've been around church for some time, I think there's two different ways that we can think about gifts. The first is the what can I get out of it type of way of thinking of gifts. Now, Peter very helpfully thanked God for, on our behalf for the great leadership that we are shown by Ben and Joss that we should rightly be very thankful for. But there's a, a way of thinking about gifts and thinking of the fact that they are given gifts, which they are, to serve the rest of us. And if things, if the, that internal review that, that ticks over in your head has gripes or things that we grumble about, it can be easy to put it on... They've been given gifts. They are serving us. They need to change things here. It's it's on them. It's a what can I get out of it? What what are they giving to me? Or we can do it with not necessarily our leaders, but we can do it with just other people in church and put things on them. No one else is serving me in that way. Why isn't this happening at church? People should be doing that for me. That's the what can I get out of it type of attitude to gifts. But there's another type of way that we can approach gifts, the way that God has gifted each of us in the church, which can fall into the same trap, and it's what I'm thinking of as the personality test way of using them. Now, put up your hand if you have ever used uh, like a Myers-Briggs or any sort of personality test to kind of understand yourself, a strength finder, some sort of psychometric testing. Yep, a lot of us. And there are good ways, there are good reasons that those things are used. It's so that you can understand yourself, so that you can use who you are in a particular way. But there's so often that those personality tests aren't used in that way. So often, I've, I've got a very good friend who I love dearly, who, when he would talk to me, would say, oh, you've got to understand, I'm a E-N something something, I can't remember the letters, and that means that I'm a Steve Jobs type of person. 
I, I act like this. And it, it almost becomes like, a, like an ID card. This is who I am. We can use that when we think about gifts of, this is what I can contribute, this is what I can give. If there's not a spot for that at church right now, if no one comes to me and asks, this is what I've got. We can think of it in that sort of, what can I get out of it way? And I want to call that the cruise ship mentality of God giving us gifts. Now, I've never been on a cruise ship, and some people, maybe pre-COVID particularly, thought of cruise ships very positively as the place that you can escape. You're literally disembarking from land. You're going off in this, you're escaping all of life's normal things. You're giving a certain amount of money, and you can do whatever you want over those 14 days that you're on that cruise. You can wake up, and if you want to eat prawns for breakfast, you can. Then you can go sit by the pool, and then you can watch a movie. You can do what you want. A cruise ship mentality is all about what can I get? What can I get out of it? And there's a way that we can come to church, there's a way that we can think about our gifts from God, which God has given to each of those who trust in Him, which is the cruise ship mentality of what can I get out of it? But, like the cruise ship where so often once we feed ourselves physically and just with what we want, the result is we get sick. Not just COVID. That's just the result of so, so many people get gastro and just feel so unwell at the end of their cruise because there's so much in just giving to themselves. That's what our world's view of what can I get out of it does to us. It makes us sick. It is not how we're meant to live. It's not how God, our Creator, has made us that we're just supposed to take and take. And ultimately, it's not the way that Jesus thought and acted. It's not the way that, therefore, us as the body of Christ are to think and to act. Jesus, even though he is our God, humbled himself and he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus elaborates that for him, that meant that he gave up his life as a ransom. The ultimate way, the ultimate way that God has shown us grace is in that, in Jesus showing us that he came to serve, not be served. Which means that our our service, our using of gifts isn't to be the world, we're not to be conformed to the world and thinking, what can I get out of it? The cruise ship mentality of church and gifts. We're to have Christ-likeness in our way that we think about church. Not the what can I get out of it, but the what can I give. Not the cruise ship, but what I want to say is more like the Navy ship. On a naval ship, there are lots of people who are all given different roles, and in their different roles, they contribute to the whole. They together have a purpose, they have a mission, and each person, though, has an individual part that they have to play in it. No person is unnecessary. No person has nothing to contribute. Every person on that has something they're supposed to do, from the captain, to the cook, to the cleaner, to the button-pressing people that direct... The, I, I don't know anything about Navy ships. I've exhausted all my knowledge. But every person on the ship has a role that is supposed to be there to contribute. Now, our experience as church should be like that, but so much more, because not just uh, it's not just directed by someone with some wisdom about how that should work. Our body here, our group, is 
put together by God, who knows all of us infinitely more better, more well than we know each other, that we know ourselves, and than we know each other. God has put us together each with different gifts so that we can serve each other. None of us are unnecessary. If you trust in Jesus, you have a gift from God so that you can serve others here. If you trust in Jesus, God has given you that to serve, not be served. And so my prayer is that as we're in this passage, as we're thinking about what it looks like to be in the church, to be not conformed but transformed by God's grace here, that we, God will be challenging us. God will be speaking into your, into your heart and challenging you to think about this place as a place not to be served but to serve. And so we're going to read verses 6 to 8 in a second, which is called, often called one of the, the gift lists. And I want us to have a think about what you, if you trust in Jesus, you can give as your gift to this body. And remember, if you don't yet trust in Jesus, if you don't know fully about that, if you do, this will be one of the blessings that you get to have as well. But before we read through that, before we go through that, um, we'll read it and then we'll uh, go into it in some more detail. So have a look at verse 6 with me. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your, gift is, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, before we dig into the details of what that is, there's a few things to notice about that list. One, there's no particular order. He talks about leading there, but that's not the first thing he says. It's not the last thing. It's, it's not an ordering of things here. He goes from prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging. This isn't a, 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 a hierarchy of church. This is a list of how all the people in church can be gifted, regardless of what our, our role might be. Second thing to notice is it doesn't match up exactly with the list of ministries that we have here in church, or that maybe any church, if you've been part of other churches, has. And I think that's a really good thing. You could think that's a bad thing, and, oh, we need to find someone who is going to be on the encouragement team, and someone who's going to be on the serving team. And, but it's actually really helpful that this doesn't match necessarily with all the different roles we have in church. We have music, we have a whole lot of things, we have kids leaders, we have growth group leaders, we have chair cleaners, things that don't exist on this list. But that's really helpful because these are gifts that work in a much more profound way, that are supposed to pervade all those other things that we do. These aren't up the front gifts, these aren't in the seat gifts, these aren't midweek gifts, they're not on a roster, they're not not on a roster. These are just things that are supposed to pervade how we do all of what we do at church. If you've been given a gift, use it, not in a particular role, but also don't avoid roles at church because this list doesn't work like that. Real serving isn't any of those things in particular, it's anything which models Jesus' attitude of wanting to serve, not be served. 
And it's anything which, again, helps us to not be conformed, but transformed according to God. And lastly, if you don't know how God has gifted you to serve, if you read through that and you thought, I don't know what my, my gift on there would be, can I encourage you, through this, think about what it might be and try things. Ask other people who might know you well and try things in our church and see if that is something that you have been gifted by God to contribute to this body. Now, as I said, there's no ordering in these gifts, but I think something that, a way that you could see them is that there's gifts that God gives in words and there's gifts that God gives uh, in, with people's actions. There's kind of two broad ways you can understand that. There's gifts of words, of prophesying, teaching, encouraging, and there's gifts of action, giving, serving, acts of mercy. And then there's leading, which doesn't really fit into that list, which proves that that's not how to easily break it down, but I think it's a little bit of both. Leading is words and it's acting. It's both. But we're going to broadly work through those. First, we'll start with words. How does God give pe gift people's words in a way that seeks transformation and not being conformed? Well, have a look at there. The prophesying, teaching, encouraging. Those are all things that people are to use so that they point other people away from the world and to God and to Jesus. Those are all gifts that in our words people use to remind others of God's grace in Jesus. It's anything that reminds people of Jesus' own service. It's using words in a way that helps in all our temptations to remind people with our words that Jesus, our Lord, was tempted in every way and stood the test. It's in all of our trials, reminding people with our words that we have a hope and because there's no strict list here of roles, of ministries, it can happen up the front. It can happen, I think, we often think of it happening in the sermon. And that's true. We don't want to put the sermon aside as it doesn't happen there. But it happens in the Bible reading. It happens in the words of a prayer. It happens as someone is interviewed about how they've been challenged. It happens in the words of a song or before a song, as, as this song leader helps us to think about what we're about to reflect on. It happens in the seats. People, we can use these gifts of words in, in the seats as we find out about somebody else's life and we can point them to Jesus. As you welcome someone into church in, to, uh, in a way that shows them that you want to serve them. Or telling someone how you've been encouraged by them serving. How you've been encouraged by them showing that they have been transformed. And it can happen during the week as you uh, point people towards Jesus at your growth group. Or you call someone who you missed at church to check in and how they're going. And you again encourage them in who Jesus is to keep persevering. Or you share with someone how God has grown you through a trial or a temptation. All those things are used prophesying, teaching, encouraging, as God is gifting words to seek people's transformation. Now, there are so many examples of how people here at church use word gifts that I have personally been uh, encouraged and challenged, and I think God has grown me through. 
I'm going to just use one example, but I'm sure you can think of others, and I, I encourage you to think of other ways that you have been blessed by God through other people's gift, word gifts. But one that I want to uh, point out is, I won't say the person's name because I haven't asked if I'm able to, but a lot of you will be able to work out. This person is someone that has been in our church for a number of years, and I think, without contention, has been given the gift of teaching, who is able to teach others. And for a number of years, their role was to do that quite publicly. But I think they have shown, both in their teaching, but also in their Christ-like attitude, to now that life has shifted for them, they no longer do that primarily publicly. They do it in the quiet word to someone in the seats, or as someone is coming into church, or in the past, as I have given a sermon, they've given me a quiet word after to encourage me about a truth that I could dig deeper into. I think that is a fantastic, helpful model of what Jesus does for us, that using a gift, but not being precious about status or position, but using a gift regardless of what the circumstances might be, always using it. I'm sure there have been people here who have you, you've been encouraged by or challenged by but I want you to think about yourself. How could God be gifting your words like that? How could God be gifting your words in a way that helps others to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed, to be like, think like God? And lastly, actions. How does God give pe gift people's actions in a way that helps them to not be conformed, but transformed? Remember, the list before was showing mercy, giving, serving, and leading. Again, these can be things, anything which shows humble service. It can be coming to church, particularly in our age of COVID, when life is hard and it would be easier to stay home, and actually just being here. That is an act of service where you are showing others, this is important, I value this. That is no longer valuing the comforts, but the things that can be challenging. It would be more comfortable if you were sitting in your lounge room right now in lots of ways. But by coming here, that's an encouragement to others that church is valuable. It can happen as uh, people even clean the seats as we leave. That's an act of service to show that we care about people and we want people to be able to come into this place and hear of God's word. And it can happen during the week as we share a meal with somebody else as we have a coffee or spend time with someone who just needs the physical present reminder of a brother or sister in Christ. There are so many ways, again, that I've been encouraged and challenged by people who do uh, use God's gift to them in actions. It's the person who isn't able to drive themselves to church is offered lifts by others so that they can get here. When it, even though it might be going 10, 15 minutes out of their way, doing that because they want that other person to be not conformed but transformed. It's the week by week coming to church when months later I find out there are real things which make that a challenge for people to come and be here with us every week. How has God gifted you so that you have been uh, encouraged by others' actions here? But as well, how could God be gifting your actions so that you can seek other people here not being conformed, but transformed? What could you be saying or doing? What could you say or do today and this week which is going to model to people 
Jesus' model of being, of serving, not being served, and helps the body here. I'm going to pray that God would be speaking into us and helping us to reflect on that so that we can build each other up as the body. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you have shown us grace over and over again. We thank you that not only have you shown us grace in your son coming to die for us and living the life we couldn't and dying the death that we deserved so that we didn't need to. Thank you for that grace that you have shown to us. We pray that there would be people who trust in that this morning for the first time. For those of us who already do, Father, we pray that you would, uh, that we thank you that you have given us grace abundantly, that you have gifted us to be necessary members of this church. Father, give us wisdom to know how we can gift others so they wouldn't be conformed but transformed, and that all of that would not be for our glory, but for yours. Pray that in your son's precious name. Amen.